0: Welcome to Disciple Making Ministries Podcast. This is your host, David Spirik, broadcasting from Kyiv, Ukraine. This is a missionary podcast dedicated to multiplying disciple making movements internationally. Our vision is to finish the disciple making movement that Jesus started and passed on to his disciples. Our mission is to engage, to establish, to equip, and to empower believers internationally to start their own disciple-making movements among family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, classmates, and churches. Our values include being biblical, incarnational, relational, transformational, reproducible, faith-driven, prayer-driven, process-driven, principle-driven, kingdom-driven, and Holy Spirit-driven. Our services arise out of our spiritual gift set of teaching, knowledge, wisdom, prophecy, and apostleship. We're glad that you joined our show today and would like to get to know you better. So drop us a note to introduce yourself and let us know from where you're listening. We welcome ideas for future show topics and guest speakers. We're reaching for excellence here, so leave us some feedback on our website at www.disciplemakingministries.org. Or leave us a voicemail message on our telephone line at area code 214-377-1107. You may indicate there if you'd like your voicemail message to be included in a future podcast episode. I'll return in just a few moments with today's main topic. Disciple Making Ministries podcast show where we've dedicated this show to promoting the great commission of Jesus Christ. Our goal is to use this internet platform to encourage and to equip you, disciple makers, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded, and surely he will be with you to the end of the age. No, we're not trying to call you away from your home or your context, but rather instead we're trying to place you on the throne within your kingdom assignment, influencing your family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, classmates, and local churches where you can start disciple-making movements among them. In previous episodes, we've discussed the essentials of disciple-making, such as hope, faith, love grace, identity, intentionality, and prayer. But today I'd like to move off that topic just a little bit and discuss another principle of disciple-making, which is that of leadership. You know, discipleship inevitably involves leadership. Jesus said, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And in that statement right there, we see that we are following the leader of Jesus, and also we are calling others to follow us to Jesus. Discipleship and leadership cannot be divorced. They are part of a package deal. But before we dive into leadership, we would like to pray for some disciple-makers that we have met. In particular, God has led us to pray for two disciple-makers, the first one is named Pastor Jacob, who is making disciples of people in villages in India. And the second is named Pastor Udemy, who is making disciples of his family and friends in remote areas of Nigeria. We'd like to ask you to pray for God to bless these two men. Pray for God to give them wisdom and the words to preach and teach Pray for God to empower them for kingdom expansion activities. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for these two men, Pastor Jacob and Pastor Udemy, who have answered the call to go and make disciples. They are faithfully following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. So we pray, dear Jesus, that you would empower them for this ministry that you would fill them with your love, with your hope, with your grace, with the fullness of identity in Christ, with intentionality, and with all power and prayer in the Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would bless them this week in their ministries. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, before we dive into our main topic for today, I'd like to take just a few moments to share with you how God has been moving this past week. We are continuing through our first of many 30-day challenges that we want to put out here on Disciple-Making Ministries. You may be asking, what is a 30-day challenge? What are you talking about? Well, we are challenging our disciples out there to spend 30 minutes a day for 30 days during the month of September spending time with the Lord in prayer, Bible study, and worship. We realize that disciple-making all starts from heaven above. And we disciple-makers need to have a strong relationship with our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I don't know how you can have that without spending time in prayer, Bible study, and worship every single day. So we challenge you during the month of September to go over to our website and check out the Bible verses that we're reading. And spend 30 minutes per day with the Savior. Also, this past weekend, we were invited to a leadership meeting in a local church, and there we were invited to start another discipleship group this fall semester. So it looks like uh, either this week or next, we'll be starting up with a new group of five or ten young people, teaching them about being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Also, we're preparing to start another online version of our discipleship seminar. So if you're interested in signing up for the next webinar, then go on over to our website, www.disciplemakingministries.org, and go to the page that talks about seminars, and let us know that you want to attend so we can register and reserve a place for you. In just a few moments, we'll return with the main topic for today on leadership. When Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, he was essentially saying, follow me and I will make you leaders of men. You can't have discipleship without leadership. Those two go hand in hand. Now today I would like to propose that what you have seen as leadership in this world and in your local churches may not necessarily be what Jesus had in mind and it may not follow the model that Jesus left behind for leadership. I think in many cases today, the Church has adopted the world's methods of leadership rather than Jesus' model of being a leader. What does it mean to be a leader in discipleship? How is that different from what the world usually thinks of as leadership? Well, Today we're going to dive into these topics. It has been said that the world is in desperate need of real leaders. Leaders who cannot be bought. Leaders whose word is their promise. Leaders who put character above wealth. Leaders who possess opinions and a will. Leaders who are larger than their vocations. Leaders who do not hesitate to take chances. Leaders who will not lose their individuality in a crowd. Leaders who will be honest in the small things as well as in the great things. Leaders who will make no compromise with wrong. Leaders whose ambitions are not confined to their own selfish desires. Leaders who will not say they do it just because everybody else is doing it. Leaders who will be true to their friends through good reports and bad reports, in adversity as well as in prosperity. Leaders who will not believe that shrewdness, cunningness, and hard-heartedness are the best qualities for winning success. Leaders who are not ashamed or afraid to stand up for the truth when it is unpopular. Yes, the world is in desperate need of real leaders. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was professor of theology at the University of Berlin in Germany in the 1930s. At this time, German Christians were divided over Hitler. One group allied themselves with Hitler. They wanted a pure German nation. They formed an official German church which supported Hitler and banned Jews from holding official positions in the church. Well Bonhoeffer was among those who could not go along with Hitler's anti-Jewish radically German vision. With others he set up an underground church which explicitly refused to ally itself to Hitler's Third Reich vision. In 1937 Bonhoeffer was sacked from his position and he fled to London. And two years later, he was faced with a choice. He had been offered one of the most prestigious theology appointments in the world, lecturing at Union Seminary in New York, or returning to Germany to head up an illegal underground seminary for churches who refused to go along with Hitler. Well, he decided his faith would be meaningless if he took the easy option, so he headed back to Germany and found Hitler so evil that he abandoned his commitment to nonviolence and got involved in a plot to assassinate Hitler. As we know, the plot failed and in 1943, Bonhoeffer was arrested. While in prison, he led worship services for his fellow prisoners until the fateful day on April 9, 1945, when he was executed by the Nazis. Through all this, what distressed Bonhoeffer was the way that so many Christians could sell out to Hitler's evil vision. How could people who owned the name of Christ so betray Christ? How could they pray in a church which banned Jews from holding office? It convinced Bonhoeffer that religiosity in and of itself was worthless. It didn't matter how fervently a person believed in Jesus, how many times each day they prayed, or how earnestly or sincerely they sang hymns on a Sunday morning. In the end, the measure of spirituality is not how we are in the church, but how we are in the whole of life. Bonhoeffer was a real leader. Yes, real leadership. The leadership that comes from Jesus. His modeling of leadership is quite a bit different from that of the world's. But Jesus called to them and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not to be this way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and give his life a ransom for many. So the worldly leaders like to dominate over their subjects. Worldly leaders like to oppress their subjects. Worldly leaders like to put their subjects in a box and control them. Worldly leaders like to exercise authority over their subjects. Worldly leaders like to demand that others serve their interests and their needs. And worldly leaders like to dominate as a strong person dominates over a weak person. But with Jesus it is not this way, and with discipleship it is not this way. Who although Jesus existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus is the perfect picture of an authentic leader. And the Apostle Peter reminded the elders of the church to follow this model of Jesus. Therefore I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sword gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Yes, a good leader is like a shepherd. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day in which he is among scattered sheep, so will I care for my sheep, and I will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. And I will bring them out from among the peoples, and gather them from the countries, and bring them to their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams. I will feed them in a good pasture, and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down on good grazing ground, and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, and strengthen the sick. This reminds me of Jesus' charge to Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter answered, you know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And Jesus repeated this over and over. A true leader loves and takes care of and feeds the sheep that are the king's sheep. Let me share with you what a true leader does. A true leader in the church equips the saints for the work of service, builds up the body of Christ, seeks to have all of them attain to the unity of the faith, helps them to become a mature believer in Christ. A true leader helps them not to be tossed about here and there, carried about every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, by deceitful scheming, But a true leader speaks the truth in love so that all the sheep can grow up in all aspects unto Christ. A true leader wants every joint, every member, every individual part to work together for the cause of the growth of the body of Christ to build itself up in love. I wish we had some real leaders in this world who would actually cause the church to have this kind of an atmosphere. But unfortunately, in most cases, this is not the case. In most churches, pastors are not equipping the saints for the work of the service. Instead, pastors are expecting the saints to equip him for the work of the ministry. In most cases, shepherds are building themselves up rather than building up the sheep underneath them. In most cases, the local churches are dividing based on some aspect of doctrine rather than unifying based on the love of Jesus Christ. In most cases, churches are happy for people to come and sit and be immature baby Christians for the rest of their lives rather than to reach maturity and to go out and use their gifts and talents for the growth of the kingdom. So in most cases, the members of the local church are tossed here and there by every trickery of doctrine and schemes of mankind. They remain largely stuck in their own bondages and are not free to serve Christ out of a true love relationship. So in today's episode, I want us to look more deeply into five areas of leadership and discipleship what are five key marks of a real leader, a real disciple maker. After the break, we'll return and dive into the first of these five areas of leadership in discipleship. Stay with us. One of the first marks of real leadership is vision. You know, suppose you have a boat, and you have people rowing the boat on both sides. If both sides are rowing the same way, then the boat will go in the right direction and get somewhere. But if one side of the boat is rowing one direction, and the other side of the boat is rowing the opposite direction or doing nothing, then the boat will go nowhere. But you have some people in an organization who say, okay, I want to be a leader, but they really don't know where they're going. They turn around and say, hey, let's go do something together. And the other side of the boat says, yes, let's play cards. And the right side of the boat says, we're going to do something and work really hard at it. So on one side, the oars are sitting idly by, and the other side, the oars are rowing really hard. And meanwhile, the boat is going in circles. As a matter of fact, the Israelites experienced the mighty miracles of God, but ended up circling around in the desert for 40 years, going nowhere because they couldn't catch God's vision for their life. I know there are a lot of Christians out there that also cannot catch God's vision for life, and they too are going around in circles. God says, I want you to be an ambassador and to do this for my kingdom. But we say, oh, no way. That's not going to happen. I'm not going to give that money or I'm not going to do that thing. God says, I want to teach you how to experience the kingdom of God. I want to teach you how to really trust in my ability. So take this big, scary step of faith that makes absolutely no earthly sense and watch me work. And then we respond, oh no, I'm not going to do that. That's way too challenging. Well, there was a parable in the scriptures. A man came to Jesus and said, All the laws I have kept for my youth. And Jesus responded, There is one thing you lack. Give everything to the poor and come follow me. Now this parable is not about wealth versus poverty, but instead this parable is about trusting in the mission and the ability of Jesus to provide rather than our own mission and our own abilities to provide. This man was trusting in his own mission, in his own righteousness, through his own abilities, rather than in the redemptive mission of Jesus Christ, through which only Jesus could accomplish the end goal. If you trust in your own ability to fund the things that God has called you to do, then you have not tapped into the kingdom, which is God's ability to fund what he has called you to do. You know, if a leader doesn't have vision and doesn't know where he's going, then how is anyone else out there supposed to know where he is going either? If you continue very long in circles, then people will become disgruntled and upset. They will think, well, why am I working so hard in this place while that guy is doing nothing over there? People will get tired and they'll want to throw in the towel. So it's important to have a clear vision as a leader. Habakkuk 2.2 says... Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision, and inscribe it on tablets, that the one who reads may run with it. If we are to be real leaders, then we are to have allowed God to give us the definition of our destination. You see, the Israelites were given the definition of their destination, which was the promised land. God told them to go into the promised land right now. And Israel sent in the twelve spies and then said, Oh no, no thank you. There are giants in the land. and We look like grasshoppers compared to them. And so God made Israel circle in the desert. Israel failed to step out in faith to gain what God had promised them. And today God is looking for a group of followers who has been given not the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind who are willing to go out, step out in faith, into the calling that God has defined for them. God is looking for a group of people who is sick and tired of running around in circles, and being stuck in a box, and running away from greatness, settling for less than God has in store. You know, often people want to create a vision that they can execute with their own abilities. Because it's really comfortable to know that, oh, I can accomplish this in the arm of my own flesh. I can do what I've set out to do. But this does not please God. God wants people to step out in faith so that he can do what only he can accomplish. Real leaders understand that if God is not scared of the plan he has for you, then neither should you be. So vision is more than just about getting an idea in your head. I'm going to get a box of Legos and put them together as a group, and we're going to accomplish something together. No, it's much more than that. Vision is about following after what God has called you to do. A big, scary goal that only he can accomplish. You see, we often fail to uh, take these steps of faith because we don't understand how wealthy our God is. Have you ever considered the streets of heaven? Do you know how massively wealthy God is? Have you ever seen the armies of God go out into battle? We have to allow God to open up to us his vision as a leader. So what is God's vision for us in these days? Well, Matthew 28:18 through 20 tells us, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I think Jesus' vision for this age was clearly stated. In fact, it couldn't be more clearly stated than that. Clearly, Jesus' vision is to go and make disciples, to go and make followers. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men, he said. His vision also involves uh, baptizing followers into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. His vision also involves teaching them to obey everything that he commanded. And we are to do everything in his authority and in his power and with his resources to fulfill his vision. So the vision of Jesus Christ was not to build a building. The vision of Jesus Christ was not to have a social club. The vision of Jesus Christ was not to have an entertainment show. The vision of Jesus Christ was not for one person to do all the ministry and the others to sit by idly. No, this vision was to make disciples who would go out and make more disciples of Jesus Christ until the ends of the earth were filled with his glory. So what are some principles we can draw from this about uh, getting a vision? Well, first of all, we need to understand that vision starts with God. Vision starts in heaven above. It's something that God gives to us, not that we generate from ourselves. Vision is also something that is empowered by God. He is the one who has to produce the work through us. Vision is something that is only completed in God he is the author and the finisher of our faith. So leadership begins with God, where God is. God's appointments and his assignments come from heaven above. And when God ordains a prophet or a minister or a leader from heaven above, then that will surely become realized here on earth below. I'd like to read Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now I'd like to say right here this is a pretty good mission statement for the church The end destination of leadership is equipping the saints for the work of service. The end destination is building up the body of Christ. The end destination is unity of faith. The end destination is full knowledge of the Son of God to mature men. The end destination is the fullness of Christ. Are our churches today moving us towards the end destination that's listed here in these verses, or are they moving you to some other goal, some other purpose, some other agenda? Leadership, when done properly, unveils a possibility of the true nature of the people of God that goes far beyond what we have been taught That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? So, the first leadership principle is that leadership involves this vision. Kingdom vision from heaven above. The Great Commission is a great kingdom vision to put in your heart and live out in your daily lives. Come on, take the vision, grab a hold of it, and let's run with it together. While walking through the forest one day, a man found a young eagle who had fallen out of its nest. He took it home and put it in his barnyard, where it soon learned to eat and behave like all the other chickens. One day, a naturalist passed by the farm and asked, Why was it that the king of all birds should be confined to live in the barnyard with the chickens? The farmer replied that since he had given it chicken feed and trained it to be a chicken, it had never learned to fly. Since it now behaved as the chickens, it was no longer an eagle. "'Still it has the heart of an eagle,' replied the naturalist, "'and surely he can be taught to fly.' He lifted the eagle toward the sky and said, "'You belong to the sky and not to the earth. Stretch forth your wings and fly.' The eagle, however, was confused. He did not know who he was." And seeing the chickens eating their food, he jumped down to be with them again. The naturalist took the bird to the roof of the house and urged him again, saying, You're an eagle. Stretch forth your wings and fly. But the eagle was afraid of his unknown self and jumped down once more for the chicken food. Finally, the naturalist took the eagle out of the barnyard to a high mountain. There he held the king of the birds high above him and encouraged him again, saying, You are an eagle. You belong to the sky. Stretch forth your wings and fly. The eagle looked around, back towards the barnyard and up to the sky. Then the naturalist lifted him straight towards the sun, and it happened that the eagle began to tremble. Slowly he stretched his wings and with a triumphant cry soared away into the heavens. It may be that the eagle still remembers the chickens with nostalgia. It may even be that he occasionally revisits the barnyard. But as far as anyone knows, he has never returned to lead the life of a chicken. A second key principle of leadership is understanding your true identity in the kingdom of God. You know, if I were to shake you awake at night and ask you, Who are you? How would you respond? You haven't had time to think about an answer, and so you must react automatically out of your subconscious. What is your self-identification? Do you think of yourself as somebody whom others have defined you to be? Do you think of yourself as a failure? Or do you think of yourself as a king, as a priest, with all power, with all authority, with all purpose in the kingdom of God? If a dog mates with a dog, what do you have? If a human mates with a human, what do you have? But if God causes you to be born again and calls you a joint heir with Jesus Christ, who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, then what do you have? You have a divine king, a ruler with authority. You see, I think there are many Christians out there who identify themselves as the world would identify them and not as they have been identified with Jesus Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For all of his fullness we have received, and grace upon grace. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then heir through God. It has now been revealed to the apostles and prophets in the Spirit to be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And if children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Did you understand the spiritual realities about your true identity and nature in Christ? True leaders will understand their true identity in the true kingdom of God. Revelation one six reads, and he has made us to be a kingdom and priests unto his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion for ever and ever. Amen. So we are truly kings and priests in the kingdom of God. It is interesting that in the Greek, the word king and kingdom are synonymous. In other words, we are both kings as well as kingdoms or realms in which the Holy Spirit lives. So our identity as both kings and priests is both to rule and also to minister to God and to people. We are much more than just saved from sin and escaping from eternal punishment. No, we are ruling and reigning right now as kings and priests here on this earth Scripture says that your body is a temple or a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And in your body there is this connection point to the very throne of God, you being seated in heavenly places. And so you are to minister as a priest unto God by worshiping him in spirit and in truth. You are called to connect with God personally each and every day and every moment of your life through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside your spirit. So draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Don't be as those were in the Old Testament who committed two evils. They forsook the Lord, the fountain of living waters, to hew out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. When was the last time that you worshipped the Lord in spirit and in truth? Scripture says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So leaders in God's kingdom understand this true identity in God's kingdom. They understand the destination and they point others towards that same destination. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So you leader out there, you disciple maker are a child of God. You are an heir of God. You are a joint heir with Christ. You are a king and a priest before him and before others. You dwell in the temple of the Holy Spirit, and you are to worship him in spirit and in truth. Someone once said, I've always wanted to be somebody, but now I see I should have been more specific. Well, Jesus Christ considers you someone more specific than just a somebody. You are a king and a priest in the kingdom of God. We'll return in just a moment with the third mark of kingdom leadership. It has been said that if we sow a thought, we reap an act. If we sow an act, we reap a habit. If we sow a habit, we reap a character. If we sow a character, we reap a destiny. One of the keys to our kingdom leadership destiny is character. In my devotionals, I've been reading the story of King Saul and King David. And there, in those two leaders, you have two completely different characters. The people of Israel demanded that God would give them a king like all the other kings around them. And so God gave them a king who was a head taller than all the others and who was very good looking. But it is not what is on the outside, but rather what is on the inside that is important to God. Time eventually proved the character of King Saul. King Saul disobeyed God's command and became a very troubled person. So God anointed another who would be a man after his own heart. God anointed King David. What was the difference between King Saul and King David? It was their character. It was their heart. It was the internal nature that lived out either in obedience or disobedience to the commands of God. After Samuel had anointed David as king, then David fought off Goliath, and Saul became jealous of him. Being the leader of Israel, King Saul should have encouraged and supported and equipped David to be all that he could be in the kingdom of Israel. But instead, Saul sought ways to put David into a box and limit his effectiveness and his anointing. First, Saul decided to bring David into his inner court. Saul even tried to get him entangled with his daughter, Michael. But when David continued to grow in fame and authority, Saul sought a second scheme. Saul tried to get David murdered by the Philistines. And Saul was also known to try to defeat David personally by throwing the javelin at him a number of times. But David continued to have a heart after God and to trust him, and David maintained the faith. So the story of King Saul and King David represent two types of leaders. The leaders who are people after God's own heart, and the fake leaders who are in it for their position and their power. Have you ever been wounded by bad leadership? You know, the kind of leaders that put people into a mold and put them into a box and restrict them from being effective and from using their gifts and talents. You know, the kinds of leaders that put you down, that distance you, that attack you. Well, true leaders are not like that. They want to empower their people. They want to encourage their people to be all that they can be for Jesus Christ and to go out and lead effective lives in the kingdom of God. The devil wants people squashed restricted, limited, imprisoned, jailed, and shut down, and he will use the insecurity of ineffective leadership in order to accomplish this goal. But good leaders will allow the people, the room, and the freedom to express the way that God has designed them to be. The goal of a real leader is not to make a disciple of himself, but rather to make a disciple of Jesus Christ. The whole idea of discipleship is to release people from their bondages, to free them to be whom God has called them to be, not to put them into a box or some kind of cage or some kind of mold that you as a leader want them to be. You there as a leader are not supposed to use other people to build up your own kingdom or to build up your own platform, but instead you're supposed to empower people to be all they can be, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. God didn't call leaders to be the author and finisher of your faith. Jesus is the author and finisher of your faith. Leaders are simply employees who are working alongside with Jesus to set his people free to their destiny, to their calling, to their purpose, to their full ability, to their expression. And leaders should have this attitude that produces a healing effect like the living water that flows through others, where people will say, wow, instead of, oh, no. Jesus answered, saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So when you're making disciples, remember that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, not you. If you're trying to make disciples that rely on you for their spiritual life, or that rely on your particular set of spiritual gifts, this is very dangerous and even borderlining on being cultic. You're not trying to make disciples of yourself. You're trying to make disciples of Jesus. A true leader will remove himself or herself from the process of discipleship and help them keep the perspective about discipleship. Insecure leaders will want you to act like them and to fit their mold. But Jesus didn't make a bunch of clones. Jesus made each individual special and unique. And God loves you the way that he created you. And the Holy Spirit has given you gifts as he wanted to give them to you. So do not let any insecure leader out there try to put you into their mold. But live in the freedom that God has designed you to live in. Your ideal is what you wish you were. Your reputation is what people say you are. But your character is what you really are. We'll come back after the break to discuss the fact that leadership also involves kingdom cooperation. Bear Bryant, former head football coach at Alabama and one of the greatest football coaches of all time, was once interviewed after it was announced that only one player from his team had been named an All-American. Bryant was asked if he was disappointed. He answered, yes, because his goal always was team effort. Either all of his team should be an All-American or none should be. Leadership in the kingdom of God inevitably involves teamwork or kingdom cooperation. Good leaders always keep people in their lives who can tell them when they're steering in the wrong direction. They keep people in their lives who could give them good advice. They keep people in their lives who can give them correction. One of the biggest barriers to healthy relationships is a failure to apologize. First John 1, 9-10 reads, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. You know, the only perfect person who ever walked this earth was Jesus. There is always room for correction, for rebuke, for training in righteousness. But we have a lot of leaders out there who fail to admit their failures. This puts all the responsibility on the followers to make up for the leaders' faults. Good leaders have this supernatural insight into people that allows them to successfully find and develop the right people who have the right abilities and the right character and the right chemistry, along with other team members, to get the job done. Good leaders know how to put these people into the right positions for the right reasons at the right times to get the right results. When building a team, Bill Hybels, in his book, Courageous Leadership, suggests three characteristics to look for. He suggests that you first need to look for character, and second, you need to look for competence, and third, you need to look for chemistry. He suggests that character should be first because without character, the whole team can break down. A person can be very competent and capable, but a lack of character can completely destroy a team. So character comes first. You need to see evidence of honesty, teachability, humility, reliability, a healthy work ethic. There needs to be a demonstration of consistency in character, as demonstrated in community. After character comes competence. For there to be cooperation there needs to be some level of competence in the area of spiritual gifts and talents and experience. The pastoral epistles clearly tell us to find those people and test them before putting them in positions of leadership. And the third area of cooperation in team building is chemistry. Sometimes it's just a matter of whether or not a person fits into your team. It just matters if their personality and their temperament tends to blend with the others. Every time we make a major move, we need to have an extra pair of eyes on the situation to see if we are doing the right thing. In my daily devotions, I've been reading the stories of King Saul and King David, and King David kept Jonathan on his side as a real friend who would honestly talk with him about the situations that he faced in life. King David also kept the prophet Nathan at his side to help speak truth in his life and to correct him when he was going astray. And then later on, King David built a team of commanders and historians and many other people who would help him to consolidate the kingdom, working together in cooperation. So, you disciple-makers out there, you need to learn how to build teams of cooperation that can grow the kingdom of God, that can help you fulfill the vision and help you reach the character goals that you have. A sea captain and his chief engineer were arguing over who was the most important to the ship. To prove their point to each other, they decided to swap places. The chief engineer ascended to the bridge, and the captain went down to the engine room. Several hours later, the captain suddenly appeared on deck, covered with oil and dirt. "'Chief!' he yelled, waving aloft a monkey wrench. "'You have to get down there. I can't make her go.' "'Of course you can't,' replied the chief. "'She's aground. On a team, we don't excel each other. "'We depend on each other.' And so we remind ourselves of the lesson that true leadership requires cooperation and teamwork." After the break, we'll return to discuss the fifth and final mark of leadership, which is executing vision. For several years, a lawyer and a doctor had regularly played golf together. And they were more or less evenly matched, and there was a keen sense of rivalry between them. Then one spring, the lawyer's game suddenly improved so much that the doctor was losing regularly. The doctor's efforts to improve his own game were unsuccessful. But he finally came up with an idea. At a bookstore, he picked out three how-to-play-golf texts, and then sent them to the lawyer as a birthday present. It wasn't long before they were evenly matched once again. Strategy and executing vision is very key to leadership. Many of you know people who started something with a great vision and then ten years later they have nothing accomplished. And then you know other people that try to do something for God. They toil and struggle and do this thing and their energy is down Well, it was never meant to be this way. Jesus meant to give us the vision. Jesus meant to empower the vision. And Jesus meant to give us the strategy and to fulfill the vision in his power and his strength. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When God provides the destination and empowers the journey, there is perfect peace and rest. If you're going to be a great leader in the kingdom of God, then why are you running away from your CEO? We are partners together with him. We are citizens in his society. We are plugged into him as our life source. If we can trust Jesus for our eternal destiny, why can we not also trust him for our mission and for the strategy and for the execution of the vision? So good leaders have a vision and they articulate the vision and they cast the vision and they execute the vision. Now, Jesus had a strategic plan. He selected and developed 12 disciples. He moved from concentric circles outwards, first in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in Samaria, and in the othermost parts of the earth. Jesus gave specific assignments to his followers. He gave them job descriptions. When his followers did their jobs, he commended them, he praised them, he rewarded them. When they didn't do their jobs, he confronted them and showed them how to do it right. We must remember as leaders that executing vision requires prayer, spiritual discipline, and dependence on the Holy Spirit. Again, in my daily devotionals, I've been reading about the story of King David. He was a man who had a vision that came from God. The vision was that God was going to build a kingdom through him. But one interesting thing we find about David all the way through his life is that David constantly inquired from the Lord what to do next. When he was faced with some enemy that was invading his territory, he would often inquire of the Lord, what do you want me to do, Lord, about this? And David invested in his team and consolidated his kingdom. So King David was a great example of a leader in that he received a kingdom vision from God, he communicated that vision with others, he understood his kingdom identity, he lived out a kingdom character, and he consolidated the kingdom exactly to the instructions that God had given him. General Eisenhower would demonstrate the art of leadership with a simple piece of string. He put it on the table and said, pull it and it will follow wherever you wish. Push it and it will go nowhere at all. It's just that way when it comes to leading people. They need to follow a person who is leading by example. So you disciple maker out there, is your calling sure? Is your vision clear? Are you developing your spiritual gifts? Is your character submitted to Christ? Are you developing a team? Are you executing vision? Mm -hmm. Oh Lord, give us David's optimism. Give us David's faith that slays giants. Give us David's humility. Help us to translate your vision into reality. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining our show today. If you have a question about the topic, if you have comments or any feedback, if you have any ideas for future topics or guest speakers, if you'd like to download our free online discipleship curriculum, if you'd like to join our social networking group on Facebook, if you'd like to sign up for our next disciple making webinar, if you'd like to become a patron, sponsor, crowdfunder, or volunteer to help us reach our goal, then start a dialogue with us at www.disciplemakingministries.org or leave a message at area code 214 377 1107. We also appreciate positive reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Podbean, as well as sharing the news about our podcasts with your family and friends. Join us next week for another engaging episode. This is your host, David Spirik, signing off from Kiev, Ukraine.